0: The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at UPC.org forward slash young adults.
1: Like John said, my name is Janie Stewart and I am on staff here at UPC. I work in the University Ministries Department and my name's on the these Flyers, Beautiful Subversion, this um, new series that we're starting. Um, my name is listed here, Janie Stewart, but my last name is spelled wrong. Um, I, already, I already flipped Brenna crap for it um, because, I mean, it's only on the Internet. It's not like you can find it anywhere or anything like that. Um, my, my first name, Janie, my last name is Stewart. On, on this, it's spelled S-T-E-W-A-R-T, but my name is actually spelled the French way, S-T-U-A-R-T. And um, people get my name wrong all the time. You wouldn't think they would because it's really simple, Jamie Stewart, but first name and last name people get it wrong because the last name they assume it's S-T-E-W-A-R-T. And with my first name, people assume my name is Janie with an M just because it's much more common. So a lot of times when I introduce myself, they'll be like, oh, Jamie." No, Janie with an N, knee like a body part. Or they'll read it. And they'll automatically, their brain will be like, M, Jamie. No, no, it's Jeannie. You can actually see it's Jeannie. Um, but the, one of the, the weirdest or in, most interesting experiences I've had with my name is I lived in Tennessee for a while. And when I first moved down to Tennessee and I introduced myself to people, I'd say, my name is Janie, And they'd be like, oh, Jeannie. No, Jeannie. Yeah, that's what I said, Jeannie. And I soon realized that I needed to pronounce my name and say, hi, my name is Janie. Oh, Janie! Oh, okay. (laughs) Then they could all get it. Names are really important to us. We want to be known. We want people to know who we are. We want people to know our name. And that's um, a big part of why we're looking at this series, why we're looking at this book, Incarnate Leadership. I think, John, did you um, recommend people take a look at this or let them know this was coming? You should read this book. (laughs) Incarnate leadership. It's by Bill Robinson. Um, in you men, we call him B Rob. We're big fans of Bill Robinson. But, um, so this book incarnate leadership kind of looks at this idea of what, how important is it to be known that other people know who we are? That's a huge part of what, how we live our lives, how, what it looks like to be, um, a leader. And he was formerly the, the president of Whitworth University, he's actually come. uh, There's some Whitworth people. You can't hear him. There's a lot. You guys are so quiet at first. Good little Whitworth people. Um, (laughs) He has come to our staff and done a couple of in-service kind of like teaching, I guess you would call it seminars with our staff, kind of about this idea of incarnate leadership. And he had some really Amazing stuff to say. And so I feel like that is a big reason why John wanted to take a look at incarnate Leadership. But then that kind of leaves the question of, like, tomorrow's December. How come you're not doing something about Christmas, right? You figured that Christmas would be, um, what, what would happen? <laughs> Advent comes tomorrow. So I thought, well, I, I wanted you guys to feel like we were in Christmas and Advent. And so I made a graphic... Incarnate leadership, it can be an ornament on your tree, or you can wrap it up and put it under the tree as a present. I don't know why they don't ask me to do graphics for the series that you have here. But the series isn't directly connected to Christmas in scripture that's read and that's looked at, but it is connected to Christmas and what Christmas celebrates. And that is the incarnation of Jesus. Now, incarnation is one of those big churchy words you always hear a lot of people talking about when it comes to December and Advent. And really, simply what it means is God taking on flesh, becoming one of us and moving into the neighborhood. And by coming into this world, God gave us the tremendous gift of himself. And through this gift, he accomplishes what no other human would be able to do by bringing a work of salvation and redemption and love into this very Broken world. So, as we look at what this big event means that God became human in Jesus, we look at what it means to dwell among, right? To become a part of those that you are trying to lead, intimately connected to the people that you have relationships with. And that style of leadership, being with the people that you are leading, listening to them, spending time with them, learning what their name is. That's what it really means to follow Jesus. That's what it really means in how we lead other people and what it really means to live our everyday lives. However, I think we can all say that that is completely the opposite of what the world says and what our cultures say are important when you're a leader to other people. And what it says is important when it comes to how you live your everyday life. So if we kind of go back in history a little bit, if we go back and look at when God took on flesh, became Jesus walking around the earth, dealing with life in the same way that you and I deal with life, he probably analyzed it, you know, check things out, got the lay of the land, how do things work? And specifically when he came into the culture of Israel, Israel was part of the Roman Empire at the time. And so you had these people, the people in leadership, the Roman governors, they probably lived in some palatial homes. I would imagine they separated themselves from the people that they were trying to lead because the most important thing for them to do was to hold on to their positions of leadership and so you had this society that's kind of run by class right at the top, you had the Roman governors um, and then you had the religious establishment below that you know there was They were able to continue being Jews, and so the religious establishment was really important. They were establishing laws and kind of telling people how to live their lives. And then, this is a really gross oversimplification, but next you'd have educated men, and then non-educated working class men, and then probably women and children, and then you had like, you know, the sick and the lame, and thieves and prostitutes kind of rounded out the bottom of the social ladder. And the people on the top of the leadership food chain, like the, the Roman governor, they wouldn't lower themselves to spend time with people on the bottom of the food chain. Like a blind man or a leper, or God forbid, a woman. Oh my gosh. Same with the religious leaders. They wouldn't be able to spend time with a leper because the leper was unclean. In order for them to go about being a religious leader, they couldn't be with people who were unclean. How would that look to the rest of society? So there was this sense of distance. There was this gap between the people who were important and the people who weren't so important. And a leadership was based on fear and rules, and the leaders separated themselves, kind of ruled from a distance. This is how things are going to work. You do it this this way, down there, I'm going to stay up here. And I think we can all agree that this whole system has been replicated all over the world in every time period in history. This is just kind of the way that the world works, right? Not just back then. While the society we live in is not necessarily the same as this, I mean, we don't have a Roman emperor anymore in charge. We at least have the rhetoric against this type of kind of class system of society. You know, everybody's equal. We all have an equal chance. And we still see a difference in power level between the people who are the most important, the people who we deem as our quote-unquote leaders, the people who we all aspire to be like and that we want to follow, and those that are deemed not as important. Everyday folk, like you and me, for instance. Now, to get a little bit sociological, um, (laughs) yeah. Something happened in the late 20th century in our culture. There was a shift, right, that happened in our culture. 20 or 30 years ago, something happened, and no longer was our family and our church the place where we got our primary values, right? What tells us how we should live, our primary leadership. that used to come for thousands of years. that came from the church, and it came from our families, and then, like, 30 years ago, something started to change. And it's not elected leaders, really, or the people who do important stuff, like scientists. We don't really know who those people are. We just know they do important stuff, which is great. But the primary leaders that others aspire to be, like, in our culture, are celebrities. Right? The media. If I really want to lead others, if I want to have influence in this world, I become Famous. I mean, there's not a lot of little girls, I think, out there who are aspiring to be Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. But there are lots of people who care what Miley Cyrus and Kim Kardashian have to say, right? We have a culture that says, not only are the celebrities important, but all of us can be celebrities. All you have to do is get a reality show and become or become part of an entourage. And then you can have influence. You can become important in our culture. John actually said that he heard one of the most sought-after jobs for people just out of college is to be a personal assistant of a celebrity. Because you want to be close to someone famous so that you can as well be famous. I think our Christian culture isn't really immune to this either. I mean, we have really big personality-driven churches. That's why people choose the churches they do. Well, I really like the personality in front. And... The leaders want to have huge influence with thousands of people. And I don't want to say trying to spread the gospel is necessarily a bad thing. But is it really a personal influence? And I don't want to make a value judgment. Every other church except for the one I'm a part of does it wrong. But honestly, does this really exemplify what Jesus did in the incarnation? So the leadership gap is the same for us. There's a big distance between... The people who are important and the people who aren't. The same as it was 2,000 years ago when Jesus actually walked on the earth. And there are people that we aspire to follow. The one thing about the stars, they're just like us, that photo, um, that I think is really interesting. And that's a really popular thing, right? For, to show how celebrities are just like us. Um, and part of that is probably because we just want to tear them down. It's our human nature. Like, we need to lift them up. Oh, let's tear them down. Um, is that, hey, it's, you know, Hillary Duff has to carry two copies at one time. Doesn't she hire someone to do that? Or Robert Pattinson has to go through airport security. Doesn't he, like, hover? He's a vampire. Or (laughs) Kate Beckinsale, like, rides a bike with her child. Like, doesn't she have, like, a a slew of nannies? Or the kids from Glee are shopping at Target? What? How does that work? But I kind of wonder, with our obsession or our desire to actually show how celebrities are just like us, is because we want to connect to them. We want to be able to know them. And we would love for them to be able to know us as well. The desire that we have to connect in some way. When Jesus came into this world, he flipped on its head the structure of the way things work in the world. He flipped it upside down. And the ways that he did things. It flew in the face of the way things worked back 2,000 years ago, and it's the same for us 2,000 years later. The status quo of leading others looks nothing like the incarnation of what Jesus did. What he introduced was totally countercultural, and it still is. It's a subversive type of leadership. Beautiful subversion, that's the title that... This series has. And when you talk about subversive leadership, you think those words don't go together, right? Subversive is like underneath, from behind. You can't really see it. And leadership is out in front. Everybody can see it in order to follow it. So it seems like that's an oxymoron, subversive leadership. But really, it's the very definition of the incarnation. Jesus came in and he spent time with the people that are on the bottom of the power structure. He spent time with the people that he was trying to lead. And he listened to their needs. And he got to know them. And he tried to figure out what he could do to help them. And he had the audacity to say that the last will be first. For Jesus, it was about the person that he was trying to lead. That's what was so different. Eugene Peterson writes in the Jesus way, The ways Jesus goes about loving and saving the world are personal. Nothing disembodied, nothing abstract, nothing impersonal, but incarnate, flesh and blood, relational, particular, local. Eugene goes on to write, The ways employed in our North American culture are conspicuously impersonal. Programs, organizations, techniques, general guidelines, information detached from place. Not that Jesus wasn't tempted by the possibility of leadership that would separate him from everybody else. The leadership that a king enjoyed or a famous celebrity would enjoy, like, um, spending time on your yacht in Sancho Bay. If we look at the temptation of Jesus in Matthew, We actually get to see the temptation that he had to remove himself from everyone else. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 4. You're probably familiar with this story. I'm sure you've probably looked at it a few times, um, if you're familiar with scripture at all. But the one thing I want you to notice as we look at this, I want you to notice where these temptations took place. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point on the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. So we have some viewpoints here. The first temptation began in the desert, right? That's the viewpoint of the desert. Then the next one, the devil takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple. So he's removed from the people that he's ministering to. And then the final temptation takes him to a mountaintop, as high as he could be and actually still be on the earth. That he could look down on everything and everyone around him. His leadership could have been the easiest possible leadership in the world. The devil's like, you can have all these people follow you. You want them to do what you say? Simple, here you go. They will all follow you. They will do your bidding. All you have to do is just bow down and worship me. But throughout the Gospels, that is made obvious. That is not the way that Jesus is going to lead, separated from his people, forcing them into submission and worship when he's far away. And if we're to dig deeper in the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to see that those who are made low are exalted. And those that are exalted actually are made low. Those who seek to advance their own lives lose them. And those who lose their lives by serving and loving find them. Instead of leading us from far away on a kingly throne, Jesus became a baby. The weakest possible thing it could become. And he dwelt among us to lead us here, where we are. He comes to us where we are. He leads us right next to us. And he leads us to who he has created us to be. He leads us beside us so that we can actually know his love. Bill Robinson mentions in his book that God's empathy with those he led is on full display in the person of Jesus. Because he literally got in our skin and walked around. This is empathy in its most extreme form. He knows what it is to be tempted to separate ourselves from others, from the messiness and chaos of their lives. And he chose over and over and over again to remain present with those that he was leading. This is not easy, for sure. This is difficult. This is even difficult for me. Shocking, I know. One of the real sticky points of maintaining personal relationships is that it can be difficult, it can be messy, and it can be extremely inefficient. One of my main responsibilities as associate director of university ministries is to put together um, our small groups, which are called core groups. And when I took over the job a couple years ago, um, I you know, looked at the way things were done. And as a st- the way that we do things is as a staff, if, if students sign up for core groups, We meet with every single student who signs up um, for about half an hour, and this can be up to 150 students. So our staff spends 75 hours meeting one-on-one with students just to put them into core groups. And now I'm someone who is obsessed with systems and organizing and doing things effectively and and efficiency and I work working at church, that's weird, but I am really, I, that's really important to me. And I looked at this process and it goes against every single inch of my being. I just cringe thinking about all the time that we put into this and it is messy. There's loose ends like all over the place. There's like no closure. It drives me crazy every year. Oh my gosh. But it's personal and it's relational And it's incarnational because we get to learn the names of all of these students. We get to hear a little bit of their story, find out who they are, who are these people we're trying to put into small groups. Even though it's incredibly inefficient, we get to know the people that we are attempting to lead in following Jesus. And I know that's a little bit of a trite example because really getting involved in people's lives can be incredibly difficult. It can be really, really messy. And this doesn't only apply to service in ministry. It applies to every area of our lives. Jesus isn't simply a compartment of our lives that we bring out if we're doing service in the church, right? Jesus is an alternative to the dominant ways things work in the world. He's not supplemental. He actually should revolutionize the way that we see that things work in this world and the way that we act and how we live our lives every day. As Christian men and women, we are all people of God, whether we're trained professionals in the church, whether we're serving in ministry, whether we're in the office or we're doing construction or we're raising our children or we're spending time studying, whatever it is that we do, there aren't any experts. We are all just beginners and followers. And if we look at what Jesus did, it was really all lay people that he got to follow him, right? There was no priests, no professors in the 12 disciples. And none of the men and women that we heard about in Scripture who followed him were those important church people either. Paul was a tent maker. I don't even know what that does. There's no ranking system system of who can be included in following Jesus, and everyone can relate to him. And the story of the temptation in the desert reminds us of the power of incarnation. The power of Christmas, why it's not sentimental, but transformational for all of us, for the whole world. Because he endured, we can endure. And he can sustain us in the midst of any temptation, any struggle, any inefficiency, no matter how messy things get, no matter what we might face. I love the book of Hebrews because of how much it reminds us of this. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16... Um, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. As we seek to lead as Christ-led, we know he endured so we can endure, and we can share our lives in a similar way. If we'll share our struggles... With people, with people that we're trying to connect with, people that we're trying to lead. If we'll be honest and not put ourselves on a pedestal, if we're honest about the difficulties we have, the struggles we have, we'll not only gain credibility that they'll trust us, that we're willing to be transparent with them, with the struggles we have in our life, but also, I think they'll trust us knowing that we were able to get through all the crap that we did through the grace of God in our lives. So maybe they can too. Talking about core groups again, um, when I also get to meet with core group leaders, which is a real joy to meet with people who are leading these small groups. And oftentimes when I meet with them for the first time and if they were a part of, of core group when they were in college or in some sort of small group, I'll ask them, why do you want to be a core group leader? And inevitably, they almost always say, because of my core group leader. He or she was just, great at sharing their lives with us, being honest about the struggles that they had, and really kind of helping us discover what it means to be a man or a woman in Christ. Christmas reminds us, this picture, I love this silhouette of how simple Christmas is, but it reminds us the subversive leadership of Jesus is not based on what we do, but on what he did. Becoming a tiny little baby so that we could know that he wants to be one of us. He wants to be among us. He wants to show us his love and grace. And he wants us to know what we are capable of through him. Leading other people, sharing his love with other people. Allowing the redemption that he wants all of us to know to be present in this world. Where it can be found nowhere else and from no one else. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the reality of the incarnation, of a tiny baby and the transformational power it has in our lives. And that you want to be among us. Don't really know why, but we are grateful for that. We thank you for the way that your leadership um, is a testament to how we can lead in this world. God, I pray that you would give us the wisdom and discernment to know what that looks like. In your holy name, Amen.
0: Is, uh, Jenny was getting ready for this, and we were, we were going back and forth. We talked, got a chance to talk about it a little bit and, and email back and forth. I was um, reminded of uh, when I was in my undergrad. I, I have a business major, um, and I ended up uh, not being able to make any decisions, so I just did management, which feels like you can't figure out what you're going to do in business. You're a management guy. No offense to management majors here. Um, but some management. And I, But I was, I was actually fascinated by... Um, uh, management and the dynamics that happen, and, and when I got to the end of my program, uh, we were in this entrepreneur uh, program where we had to go out and actually um, work with uh, folks in the community through the Small Business Association and, and help uh, help them as they, they're, they're trying to grapple with how, how do we uh, do a better job in, in our own businesses. One of, the, one of the guys I went to school with, I always remember one of his comments as we sat in management classes together, and um, that he, he just thought they were the stupidest classes in the world. He goes, these are, they're dumb. They're a waste of my time because it's all, it's all, co- it's common knowledge. It's basic. You don't need to do this. It's, why, why are we even studying this stuff? What's been fascinating for me though, is to see, and I would agree it's common, basic knowledge that everybody should know that makes great management. Um, The stuff that I was especially as you look at sort of the development of some of the management stuff if I could sum it up There's at one point. I was like really all I'm studying is 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 be cool (laughs) It's like treat people like people that was the new insight. We've just figured it out People don't like being treated like cogs in a machine They work harder if you treat them nice. It's like really fascinating that we just finally got to that This guy in particular, what was so fascinating for me is that when we did our project towards the end, for what he thought was so basic in interacting with other people in management, I saw him totally do the opposite in his project and basically uh, give our advisor, which was acting in a sense like a senior partner in a consulting firm, basically give her the bird in in how he treated her. It was unbelievable. It was like, you're... What's going on? You said that this is so basic, but it's not basic. And, and you get out, and a lot of us know that there's a lot of managers that, are, that really struggle with this. We probably struggle with this. How, how do we begin to simply lead people or serve people or work among people? It should be easy, but it's not, which tells me that it is, it's not that it's an issue of knowledge. It's a spiritual issue a lot of times. And it's really this issue around, can I uh, approach others with a sense of service, or is it this about me? It's really easy to rash, to step back and go, well, this is clearly what you should do. But when you're right in the midst of it, it soon becomes about us and about how other people accomplish things simply for us or how we can use other people. And, and what seems very basic um, is pretty soon you lose. One of the shows that struck me um, that's going on right now that's fascinating is Undercover Boss. Anyone ever seen that? Undercover Boss, a few of you? You should check it out at least once. Um, what it is, it's essentially, it's, it's uh, chief executive officers uh, that, whatever the chief, is, chief executive level, that they, they actually go undercover and they work on the front lines of, uh, so I think it was that there was an airline and there was a, um, uh, there was a, a betting.
1: Honey buckets.
0: Honey buckets, you know, yeah, talk about front lines. Anyways, yeah. so. What is it like for the people that are on the front lines? There was a racetrack. There were some other things. What is it like on the front lines? And usually it's pretty hilarious because these guys who are running companies usually just get worked. There was a guy for Subway. They get worked. You put them on the front line behind a counter with a register and they're bumbling fools. And, and one guy actually, he started lying because he couldn't. This was for uh, Wrigley Field or something like that. Oh, yeah, he couldn't
1: the hot dogs. Yeah, he
0: couldn't sell the hot dogs.
1: So he threw him away.
0: So he threw him away and just put it in. He couldn't, he couldn't make the sale. The whole thing. It's, it's amazing. The whole thing though, is all about what would happen if you actually paid attention and cared about the people who do the most work for your organization and what ends up doing is it ends up changing how they approach stuff. So, Um, this is something that I I love Christmas. I love, I love all the traditions around Christmas. And yet I love Christmas more and more all the time because of what the incarnation does and how it actually guides us, uh, not just for church, but, uh, in any kind of leadership. So I have some questions for Jamie, but I want to open it up to you. Are there questions that you have, uh, for either of us that we could bat around or we could try to answer? Because there's a lot of stuff that was, uh, there's a lot of gray area that, um, was left. Any questions around work or school or anything else? Why did God wait so long? I think in some ways he didn't actually wait that long. If you look throughout Old Testament scripture, he's been leading um, subversively in a sense, uh, the whole way through um, Throughout even Genesis, what you see is that instead of uh, working in and through um, the the most powerful person or the firstborn, he was often taking uh, the least powerful person uh, or the person that actually ended up proving that uh, they put their trust in God. The difference between David and Saul, for instance, in Kings. Uh, Saul was a head taller than everybody. David was small and he was a shepherd. It ended up being David who's who's the greater leader. Now, why it took so long for him to actually cut for God to actually come uh, in the person of Christ, I don't know. <laughs> I wish I could tell you. And I would say well, one of the things I would say too when we talk about subversive leadership, the main thing I think is subversive is not uh it subverts the um the ideals um, kind of the common knowledge. Sometimes we run into that, that tells us that we need to get distance. It really subverts us first and foremost, and then it begins to make. And then when we subvert ourselves, um, then we begin to make a difference in the places we work. Does this relate to people who are not kind of at the top, who are clearly a manager or boss or something like that? So, uh, Janie.
1: Well, I, th- I think the actual the culture of celebrity that we see in America demonstrates that we want. We want someone to be like, I feel like that is what people aspire to. You know, they want someone to be like, and you don't have to have a position of authority in order to be someone in another person's life that they can see there's something different about you. You know, I want to be like you. I want to be next to you. I want to be close to you. Um, and so I think that is just as important and valuable as having authority over them. Um, yeah. So I, I feel like if we're able to, to, lead other people by connecting with them in relationship, by demonstrating them unconditional love or grace or something they might not see other places in their life at all, because that's just really not how our world works, Um, to set yourself up to be for other people, someone that they can not only lean on and look to for love and grace and all the acceptance that you might provide them with, but also for them, someone that they want to be like and see why there's that difference in you.
0: I think too, uh, one of the, I almost didn't want to even bring up leadership at all because I think when we think about leadership, we think it is about kind of a chief executive sort of level. And most of us are not in those places, um, if any of us. So, well, you know, but I think really, um, well, a couple of things. First is that we all have influence whether we like it or not. I mean, we all have influence. And so wh- wherever we're at, and it's really about how we, how we serve within the world. And sometimes leadership is, is being at the, you're selling hot dogs. But the way that you're selling hot dogs, somebody, like among the, this is at this uh, one particular instance at, at the baseball field, somebody within all those people that are the most basic level of employees just selling hot dogs and beer somebody is gonna, ha- is gonna exercise leadership, which leadership also is about, there is role and position that matters, it's not that it doesn't matter, but we can't ever confuse the uh, the idea that if you have a title and a position, that that automatically makes you a leader. They go hand in hand, but oftentimes what you'll see is you'll see people who do not have the uh, title, position, quote unquote authority, who are actually leading in an organization. And that's because, uh, because of the, their particular influence that I think we're, t- that we can t- we'll end up talking about in this series. But I think it's a, it's a great question. We, we had actually talked about some stuff around values. And I think maybe, would you want to answer that around self care even?
1: Yeah. Um, and I don't know necessarily if self care as much as it's, um, self awareness. Um, and like with the example of Jesus turning the other cheek, um, it's less about allowing yourself to be hurt and more about causing the person who's doing that to you to pay attention to what it is they're doing. When their expectation is that you would hit them back and you don't, they were going to stop for a minute and be like, wait, what? So to put yourself in a position where you can help um, educate, not that you want to be, you know, pedantic pend- or anything like that in the midst of it, but to, to be able to um, respond in a way that's different from the world, that will hopefully change the way someone is going to respond to you. I mean, that—that's probably the first thing. And um, the second thing is, is that if we—if we will identify ourselves with God and with Christ first, if we will put our identity in Christ, the possibility of us being walked on, the possibility of us feeling like we're being taken advantage of, is going to minimize. And I'm not saying that there's some formula, you know, that we have to do. In order to make this happen, but the more that we can ground who we are, our identity in God and Christ, then being a doormat is never really going to be an option.
0: I would, um, I would, uh, I could go off on the sermon of the mount because I love it because I think it's so misunderstood a lot of times, and it's a lot of what Jenny was saying, which what is uh, we confuse what Jesus says about going the extra mile and turning the other cheek um, with some sort of unrealistic. Um, pacifism or weakness. And what he is doing is he's actually, it's, a, it's, a, it's an act of strength and creativity because the expectation is when a, when a soldier would come along and he knows that he can brutalize you by making him carry his stuff, somebody knows if they slap you, they're going to humiliate you. When you stand there and you look at them and you give them the other cheek, most likely they're not going to want to hit you back because they realize what an absolute... Jerk they are that when you make somebody what they think it's their right as a soldier that I can make this, this person that i 'm um, uh, occupying this land, I can make them carry my bag it 's my right when you say why don 't I carry it a second one, they can think about our as as a controlling power what are they doing is this right that we would do this to a a people that were supposed to be ruled so i would i would say that really it's a creative response and i think that some of what we need to do is uh think about what we think is weakness is often uh biblical meekness which is strength under strength under control uh, which is uh, it 's a strength that doesn 't lash back it 's a strength that doesn 't get sucked into uh, politics that go nowhere it 's a strength that doesn 't do tit for tat it 's a strength that actually trans- transforms and um, so I think next week we 're going to talk about truth and grace and that 's part of it and I, w- I would want to be real clear that when we 're engaging with people and we 're getting to know people it, this isn 't some sort of soft mamsy pamsy sort of I just care about you and it doesn 't matter. Sometimes what this is going to mean is, gosh, you know what? I really know you and you're really gifted, but you suck at this job. You should do something else. But instead of firing somebody and saying, get out, you don't produce what you can say. And this is an act of, I believe this is an act of mercy. You guys, an act of mercy says, I know who you are and what is undeniable to everybody in this company, and this work group is that you're not performing. I also know that you're a valuable person, and I know what your gifts are, and clearly they just don't connect with this. So how can I release you from something that you're not good at and help you find, move into some place that you are good at? That is a very different approach to laying somebody off or moving somebody on that is actually a gift instead of just watching somebody hang themselves again and again and again within a work group. So we, we cannot confuse um, some of this kind of incarnational stuff and even meekness with, a, with sort of just being uh, somebody who's walked over. But that is a great question because it's such a, it's a common uh, misconception. We've got to keep going. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Thanks for the great questions. I'm glad I didn't even have a chance to ask the ones I had. Um, I'm going to try to uh, continue kind of, some, of this, some thoughts on this kind of stuff throughout the week on the blog. I encourage you, if you have questions... Ask them, put them on the blog, send me an email and uh, we'll bring them up and we'll try to talk about them because uh, it's, it's these kinds of questions that push on our misconceptions and on the, on the places where we go, yeah, that doesn't apply to me, that this is when we begin to understand uh, the power of this, uh, this word and God's example and his uh, work in our life. So uh, let's stand and we're going to continue in worship.